Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion. I am here with my wonderful co-hosts, as always, Mike and Yubi. Mike and Yubi, how are you today? I feel I feel pretty dang good. I'm excited for today's guest. Yeah, I, I agree. I got my coffee. I got my friends. An amazing guest. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for today. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. So today. We have uh, Dee Marshall. Uh, she's the CEO of Diverse and Engage, and we're, we're going to be talking about some heavy-hitting stuff um, and also some really great tactical things as well for companies to be doing. Um, but first, I want to thank Dee for coming, and how are you today? Hello there. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good. Pretty good, all things considered. Um, you know, I will say... Uh, I think in the last few days, probably a, a bit of mixed emotion in that I'm excited for the year. A lot of great things happening um, at the company and in the way of inclusion. And so all of that stuff is very exciting. Um, and then, you know, excited about a hard reset. I love the beginning of the year, um, but also a little bit of, uh, you know, previous year and season energy uh, shows up a bit. So it's a struggle to stay focused. Let's just say that. I hear you. I hear you. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of uh, what is Diverse and Engage and what's your background and how did you get to doing the work that you're doing today? Sure, sure. So uh, Diverse and Engage, uh, we are a um, leadership development, workplace culture and diversity consulting practice. So we like to say we speak those three languages um, and our corporate clients in the Fortune 500 space, they retain us to um, either engage, train, or support diverse workplace culture. Um, you know, we have core competency in training and development. That's kind of where the leadership comes into play or the leadership development comes into play. Um, but we are, I, we like to say we're uniquely brilliant at engagement. So engaging diverse pop, whether it's multicultural women, um, uh, uh, black and brown um, folks, LGBTQ, same gender, sex loving, we are really good at engaging. So we always say if you have a challenge attracting, um, engaging or retaining a diverse uh, folks, invite us to the conversation and let us help you figure it out. Um, but I would say all of that, um, or in all of that, our, our mission, our big why is really to help create a world uh, where people can better connect, communicate, and respect unique differences, which is why I love the show that you all have here, because it's about respecting unique differences. Um, and so that's what we're about, you know, the work that we do inside of um, inside of the private sector. It's largely diversity and inclusion training and everything from, you know, cultural competence to managing through in cultural uh, through, through a multicultural lens. Uh, you know, some of our favorite work is moving from uncomfortable to comfortable conversations around race and identity. And so that's some of the the work that we get to do that we're privileged to do and it's it's exciting um stuff to support workplace culture 
Um, but that really comes out of our, our interest and concern about individuals and, you know, how individuals are growing and evolving in corporate, um, really interested in, in how folks are um, managing in terms of their psychological safety. So that's a little bit about, you know, diverse and engaged. I also um, am um, a membership director for National Association for Equity, Diversity and, and, and Inclusion, NADI. Um, which is which is great work um, that we started uh, following the launch of diversity on the hill, um, and then prior to this, you know, I I I spent my career on Wall Street in training and development, and so that that's my background. I'm a I'm a former Wall Street girl, a corporate uh, I like to say Wall Street alum, um, not a corporate dropout, but a corporate. I matriculated out of the private sector and and started my own firm here. And uh, we get to do great work and meet great people like you all and really hold space for, um, for the nine to five community. So I hope that helps in terms of background. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great summary. Thank you, Dee. I'm always super fascinated to talk to practitioners uh, within this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, um, especially since your clientele is uh, Fortune 10. And uh, so really the largest companies in the world. I'd love to know some, uh, if you don't mind sharing just uh, not all of your secret sauce, but just some of the secret sauce that you, you, you help these organizations with. I mean, to work, to work with that client, that type of clientele you are obviously hitting home runs all the time do you, do you mind sharing with our audience uh, some of the actual uh, techniques or or uh, maybe examples of exercises uh, that you share with your fortune 10 clients sure sure I will say um, one of the one of the things that we bring to corporate or I would say our unique value is um is this X factor. So just having an external lens about, um, about people, about, about the community and black and brown, um, uh, you know, and other dimensions of diversity, kind of what people are up to. Um, and because we have sort of influencer um, status in a couple of communities. So I'm um, Google tech policy influencers, one of the communities. And then there's several other uh, communities that, that I belong to. And what that gives us um, that along with, let's say our diversity on the Hill initiative, what it gives us is insight as to how corporations or, or sort of what direction um, corporations should be going in to avoid some of the painful things that are happening where corporations are being called to testify before Congress about diversity and dimensions of diversity and not just gender diversity. And so we use sort of that X factor to inform um, and, and help advise on on um, strategic direction. So for instance, C, you know, CEO um, or the top um, you know, uh, bank CEOs were called to testify last year before Congress and they had to testify about diversity. And so we use those relationships that we have that insight to then circle back and double down on uh, with corporate, here's what you might be thinking about as it pertains to equity, diversity and inclusion. And so then if we go to the specific techniques, now that we have the insight, um, we look at experiential 
um, learning and development. And what I mean by that, Mike, is, you know, a lot of what corporations are doing is training. They go immediately to training and development, right? Um, training and development, and it might look like bias training. It may look like, um, uh, let's see, becoming an ally. Or um, We don't find that a lot of uh, folks do cultural competence until we come in, but that's typically where folks start. They start with ERGs and BRGs, but where there is a gap and what we help them do is do experiential learning, experiential application. Um, and the programs, it just takes what they're currently doing and what they have learned to um, apply that in some sort of, let's just say, um, it could be a community um, initiative, a community outreach initiative, right? So that's one example of what we mean by experiential learning and the kinds of things that we curate. Another would be um, we plug them into diversity on the hill. What's that? Where we invite leaders specifically from our corporate clients to um, a diversity on the hill day. Why? Because that lets them learn about the various uh, dimensions of diversity. It could be, you know, ageism, ableism. It could be, um, you know, dimensions ranging from, you know, learning more about the interest of Latinx community, Asian American community, and not just always labeling or sticking to the, the buckets like BIPOC, right? And so that's another example of what we mean by experiential learning and experiential application of where corporation has training, but they don't have application and they are so far removed or often I should say we're so far removed from various uh, you know populations where it makes it uncomfortable to share space with unique uh, with folks who have unique differences in terms of the range of dimensions of diversity so I'll pause there but but I have to say it's always for us our unique um, uh, perspective and, and what we do here is really experiential and connecting directly to the communities um, and reaching outside of the corporate walls. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible work. And I, I'm glad Mike brought that up because it's, um, you know, our audience really is, you know, we're, we're the reason we all started this podcast was to, to come together you know, and we're going to talk a little bit about how DEI has changed, but, you know, before it always seemed like anybody doing this work was on their own, right? An island, you know, by themselves, trying to do, trying to start one ERG, um, you know, and, and, and so, you know, our goal was to be able to, to come together and, and bring those voices uh, to the forefront so that we could all learn from each other and, and try to do more collectively. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's really hard work. I, one thing before we get into the DEI redefine though, I did want to, um, ask you, you know, a, a big portion of that is you, you mentioned psychological safety. Um, and, and we were talking before we started recording about, um, you know, seasonal depression and those sorts of things. What's your focus there? Because it's, it's timely, obviously. I mean, I think a lot of us are affected by that in some way or another um, over the holidays and, and just with, you know, the weather and things like that. So what, what's important about that discussion in particular? 
Yeah. So you be the, the, I think what's important about the question or the um, a seasonal affective disorder or others know it as um, a form of depression, which is now being re-languaged as low mood, I think. Um, and what's important is one, just to know where and when that window is, and, and, and that's where we are right now. So timing, but what's important in terms of the workplace, it's to um, identify ways that, um, you know, uh, that you can normalize uh, supporting employees. So in other words, if in Q1, it could be that, uh, you know, you incorporate um, discussion groups or reframe ERGs around themes that would help people challenge with seasonal affective disorder. What would that look like? It could be conversations around productivity, groups around productivity, groups around procrastination, because those are some of the things that show up um, in, you know, for those who might be presenting with low mood um, is, you know, just being productive or, oh, I'm procrastinating on this thing or that thing, right? So that might be a symptom of it. And so if you uh, if corporate um, look for ways to normalize it rather than sending somebody to EAP or, oh, you should see a therapist, because that says you have a problem, you have an issue, right? But if if in this season with COVID and so many um, corporations um, still in work from home, find ways to normalize it. Because I think, you know, you be, uh, Nina, Mike, if you think about it, that's inclusion in and of itself. Be inclusive, even with not separating out people who are challenged for the moment. Does that make sense, Yubi? Am I, am I, does that make sense in terms of seasonal affective disorder and how, um, you know, how one might address that? Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And, um, and I, I love the clarification on, on how we're referring to it as well, because, um, you know, it, 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 it is much more than just related to depression, for example, right? And so how do we start to really clarify and help people understand what it is? Um, and then, you know, yeah, the tactical ways of, of addressing it. You know, one of the ways that, uh, and Nina actually introduced this to our organization, was, is, is, is a simple traffic light check-in. And, and I say simple because it's, it's very easy to implement and do. And basically it's okay, you know, before every meeting, like in, in you know, our first meeting of the day, for example, and we do this in a couple team meetings throughout the week, um, we ask everybody, you know, what's your color? And green means you're good to go. Yellow means, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a little bit of a rough start, you know, maybe, um, you know, my coffee's cold or, you know, there was traffic or I'm affected by, you know, you know, the season, the environment right now and things like that. Or red is, you know, I'm just, I'm not myself today. Right. And that could be for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and the goal there is just to be able to let your team know where you're at without having to say exactly why. And so I think mm -hmm. things like that, um, if we can do your point about normalizing, like let's, we want everybody to know that, hey, we're not, we don't all have the ability to come to work the same way every single day. It's just, it's not possible. And mm -hmm. so how can we let everybody know how we're doing without getting into the details of it, unless you want to, so right. that we can all step up and support each other throughout the day. Yeah. Because we still want to 
be, you know, we still want to feel accepted and like, you know, we want to feel like we still belong and we're, we're contributing to the end goal of, of what the team and the company is doing. We just can't do it the same way every single day. And so how do we support each other? So I, I think it's yeah. a huge thing to focus on. I'm, I'm so glad that you all are, are, that's a one, that's a big piece of what you're doing. Yeah. And I love the, I love Nina's um, exercise of traffic light. Um, in other spaces, we, we call that take the temperature before you, you, you know, move in or before you have a conversation. It's, you know, typically we do, we do scaling. So on a rating scale, um, we do color uh, as well. But I love this analogy, this uh, example of the traffic light um, and, you know, and this normalizing it. And I'll say this, um, there's also uh, ways to have or move beyond a surface conversation, UB, and we call that level three conversation. It's like, you know, level one is like, hey, you know, how are how, how are things, you know? And, uh, oh, things are good. Yeah, everything's good. You know, work is good. Everything's good. And then level two is, yeah, you know, things are, things are, things are well, um, you know, um, at work and, uh, and at home, you might talk about something personal, but level three is, um, can I go deep because I'm really struggling? And so, you know, that may not necessarily be, um, I'll say appropriate in some instances, but I think the framework, it gives space and holds space for somebody that really is struggling. And that is where I think there's the opportunity in this season. So that, because we would hate, we all would hate for something to happen to our colleagues and never, you know, just not know um, and not know because what we didn't ask or we didn't, we didn't tap in, you know, um, or we didn't, you know, we didn't wait for a response when we asked, how are you? So, um, so I just wanted to kind of, kind of share that um, because I think it's uh, such a great opportunity in this season for in the workplace to be able to normalize um, not feeling good around things like these exercises and then just relanguaging groups and, and even book discussions around things like resistance. Because again, that's where you can tap into low mood without like having to call it out. And, you know, you don't want to form a, a seasonal affective disorder or a sad group. Like we're not here for that. We're here for, we still want to be productive, right? We don't want to be, you know, procrastinating on our goals and objectives professionally and um, personally, um, we want to be well, but we want to be real and we want to, we, we want to learn and we want to grow. We don't want learning to just happen in the classroom, like even having the discussion groups and, and even book discussions um, around things like resistance. It's yeah, we could learn, we could all become social learners and be better stewards of psychological safety. And that's how you change workplace culture. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that we have to recognize is that this is a long-term play, right? We can't just get this done overnight with, like, like you said, we're just one training, but we really need to change behaviors around this. And, you know, this kind of segues into my next question for you is that the role of DEI and what DEI looks like at companies is, has changed a lot in the last year, um, you know, due to George Floyd, the invasion of the Capitol by white terrorists. I mean, there's so much that's happened in the last year. Um, can you tell us about like what's changed and what companies need to be thinking about for 2021, how they think about DEI? 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think, you know, what's changed, uh, we, we know what the drivers are. So you just stated, uh, Nina, the drivers in change and moving us to, uh, you know, DNI being redefined. And so what's changed is a commitment to equity, diversity, and inclu- inclusion. So companies as of May 25th of last year, I think by the end of that week, by May 27th, um, their commitment or, or no, let me back up. Let me just say they're acknowledging that, that racism exists. I think that was that's one shift where prior to May 25th, we didn't hear much about that. But, but companies just being really um, bold and unapologetic about racism and being anti-racist. So that was the first. And then some sort of commitment um, to addressing it. Those were all of those donations that went um, to social justice and social impact organizations. So that was a change. I don't think that had ever happened. Um, and then uh, also corporations now recommitting to their internal workforce, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Prior to May 25th, guys, they were, DNI folks were being let go. So let's just be real. That was happening before May 25th. Um, and so, so the recommitment um, to equity, diversity, inclusion, and then internally, um, another change is some corporations being really bold about racism versus not just equity, diversity, and inclusion. I mean, we've received, you know, several RFPs and they were explicit in um, addressing racism. Now, I do think uh, you know, it, there's still a lot of work to be done in that corporations, some just don't understand, I think, the distinctions um, in, you know, DNI and racism and systemic racism. Um, but those are some of the some of the things that that have been shifting. And even in the last um, few weeks, we've seen major brands, some of the, you know, our favorite brands come out with commitments to racial justice and addressing racism and committing a hundred million dollars. And so more of that, and, and we are what, seven months removed. So, so, you know, and, and that could be based on the, the insurrection, it could be that, but so, so these are some of the things that are shifting. Um, but now I'll share this one last thing in terms of internally what's happening. And that's a commitment to, initially it was black people, um, so that came, I think, post George Floyd, but then the latter part of the year, a commitment to Black and Latinx. Um, and I think we'll we'll see, you know, we'll continue to see um, addressing all of us in terms of um, racial and ethnic diversity. But then I'm really believing in a time where we don't have to just focus on one dimension, if that makes sense. Don't get me wrong, I'm a black woman. And so absolutely last year I was holding space for, nope, we're talking about black people. We're talking about racism against black people. That was me, you know, and then and then certainly, though, knowing that when we address this right now in this moment, we're creating space and we're bringing everybody along. So every dimension of diversity, but now we're going to talk about or first we're going to talk about race and ethnicity because we were never allowed right prior to May 25th. Um, And so those are some of the things that are happening. Um, I'll also say this, and you know, I'm always in conversations with C-suite executives and you know, really sharing this blind spot. Be aware of these two things. One, accountability 
coming from lawmakers. Just watch the tapes of when major CEOs are, are were called to testify and make an account to what are you doing about diversity inclusion. So I always want CEOs and executives and DNI folks be aware of what's happening and the trend and the national standards coming and where you may have to make an account um, for for that. Also, be aware in terms of. Um, what's driving diversity and inclusion is, uh, you know, the, there's high reputational risk. You know, you you sneeze the wrong way in corporate America right now. You know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, every, all of social media is, you know, they're they're vocal and woke. We say in the community, meaning they're conscious. And so, I think corporations definitely want to um, be aware of the blind spot and notice what's driving the change who's going to be holding them accountable um, as we come up on the anniversary of George Floyd being murdered, expect that there will be accountability. Folks are watching and they are going to want to know, okay, now what did you do? You said that Black Lives Matter first and you said you were anti-racist. Now, what did you do in that one year? So I hope that makes sense um, because I'm excited about what's to come for all of us. Like even us here together, us four, um, we're all gonna benefit from this, but we had to start with the difficult work that had not been discussed before ever. We were never allowed to have these conversations um, in corporate outside of the black employee resource group or the, you know, the Hispanic Employee Resource Group and the Hispanic, Hispanic Heritage uh, Month. So I hope that answers the question and it, it, it helps to shed light. I, I, I love it all. I really do, Dee. I, so for me, it's like, okay, what's, what's the practice? Uh, what's the intent of the practice? And then ultimately, what are the results of the practice, right? So uh, can you share with with all the work that you and your organization have been doing, um, share some results like, you know, how how how, you know, so again, let's talk about accountability. So let's get down to the brass tacks. Like, let's talk about some of the uh, the amazing results that you and your team have had. Yeah, so here's the results that we should, that we're always looking for. Um, and and if I could just back up and say, um, the best conversation about diversity is one informed by data, right? So we always start with some form of data or else you have, you have nothing to measure against. And so the results that we work towards, um, um, there's four areas in particular that are on the table. So there's always the area of um, diversity in the workforce, right? So an increase in representation for underrepresented populations. Um, and then there is number two, executives, right? So executive representation for underrepresented. So we look for promotions in high level positions of, of where it's no longer um, you know, a homogenous group, you know, McKinsey's report and so many others um, have had proven that diverse teams um, you know, outperform homogenous teams, right? And so, so that would be another level, the executive level of diversity. And then uh, vendors, um, so suppliers. So what's your supply chain look like? Is there diversity there? And then in terms of your prime suppliers, are you holding them accountable? How diverse are they? And then your, whatever, wherever you do or whoever holds your communication, 
uh, or um, uh, marketing agency, whoever does that work, uh, how diverse is that? Um, organization. And so, and, and if I could just say here, because that's where you see a lot of the challenges when you see marketing in the public domain and companies that are taking a beating, it's because there was a lack of representation, a lack of diversity within um, perhaps an agency. If you look at recent uh, snafus, Burt's Bees, Macy's. Um, recently, we've seen it in the public domain, you know, Pepsi. Now, all have apologized, and I, I don't believe any corporation means harm, but those are the issues. So those are the four areas. For us, as a company, um, what we do well in terms of our results is retention is one, and promotion is another. So for instance, um, one of our, I think our biggest win, let's just say in the last year, is tech company going from 13% um, retention to 46% uh, retention in terms of diverse pop because they had a high attrition. They had a, a significant issue there. Um, another one of our clients, a CPG over 12 to 24 months, um, we were able to track, uh, track for gender diversity um, promotion. So um, there was, a for one of our clients, an invisible middle of where um, one or actually two groups were at the lower end in the entry-level management positions, but there was an invisible middle, um, none in the, in the mid-management level to, to uh, be in position and to be in the pipeline for, um, for executive. And so within 12 to 24, we were able to track results there in terms of moving up from um, into, into management ranks. So we look at attrition, retention, I'm sorry, retention. We look at um, promotion. Um, we also look at uh, uh, supply chain. And so we do supplier development. It's probably only 20% of our work, but we do well in developing programs to engage uh, specifically women of color on that track. And so, uh, so we look at their uh, number of contracts, right? We look at it and even the, um, uh, the value of the contracts. And so those are some of the results for for us, some of the the, the softer side, um, we do have significant results as it pertains to majority population. Let's just say, in many of the organizations where we work, if it's white male dominated, um, one of the results it uh, includes um, majority feeling. Um, more informed about cultural differences, right? And so there we're able to track better uh, leadership results, um, which is more of a much more intangible, but leadership results by way of learning to manage through a multicultural lens. And that's some of the work we do, again, if they are non-Black or non-people uh, of color, non-diverse majority might be, again, significantly um, white female led and or white male led. And so those are some of the things that we've been able to do, help them to manage through a multicultural lens by giving, um, you know, the awareness and the education and then the experiential learning, um, if that makes sense. That is what we like to call a mic drop right there, Dee. That was awesome. Yeah. Like actual, actual yeah. data. I love it. Well, and the, yeah, there's such a balance there, you know, because you, you, you do have to balance what, what leadership and the board, you know, and the things that directly impact the bottom line with 
with you know the, the greater impact or the, the social impact of the work you're trying to do within within the community of the organization and um uh yeah those are great what a, that's what a great outline um d i think you know we're almost at time one one thing i did want to just maybe in closing talk about is the, the diversity of the biden white house um what are your thoughts on that as we come into that i mean we're a week away what what are your what are your thoughts how is that shaping up is is you know is, is this part of the change we're seeing yeah so good question i mean what are my thoughts about it you know i think it's i think it's a good thing i think you know you have all all leaders um need to be really thoughtful about um their direct reports and who who they are um you know how they're assembling their team to represent who they represent. And so if you happen to be here in the United States, you know, you want a leadership that is, um, that looks like and represents uh, the demographics here. So I think it's absolutely a great thing. What I, what I also believe about, um, you know, Biden's cabinet is that there's lesson to be learned for corporate leaders and for private sector and actually leaders everywhere. It's pay attention, the handwriting is on the wall because while most of the US is watching, let's just say what's happening externally, know that your staff and your employees are also watching and then they're looking at the leadership in, in and, and forming their own opinions and thoughts based on that. So what I think about, uh, Biden is it's going to really inform again a lot of things as it pertains to um, um, leadership decisions and and you know building a diverse team, uh, diversifying your team. And so um, I think that's the second thing that comes out of it to pay attention and make sure that when you look to the left and you look to the right, that the people around you, are, um, you know, they match who you are serving, right? There's no longer, we're moving into, into the place where you can no longer have or run a company and benefit from people um, with unique differences and then not have them on your team. So whatever that is, if you're serving a specific demographic, then you need that specific demographic on your team. So it's like nothing without us or nothing, nothing for us without us. So don't come up. You can no longer come up with, you know, a plan for, let's just say veterans. If, do you have any veterans on your team? Don't, you know, you can no longer um, look to, to serve and or market and sell to, let's say, you know, Native American, Asian American, disabled folks. Do you have the, those folks on your team? And so I think that's what I take most and what I'd like to share for leaders where it, it may be a blind spot. Um, it's no longer going to be acceptable. And we've been moving in that direction for some time. You know, NASDAQ and their recent announcement about a month or two ago that in terms of requiring that boards be diverse and no longer just gender diverse, but now uh, racial and ethnically diverse. And then also um, uh, there should be some representation of LGBTQ. So again, I think that's what I take from that. And I hope that leaders now 
um, do it before there's a painful uh, chin checking, if you will, whether it comes from your stakeholders, your shareholders are now, you know, they're in the hot seat, whether it comes from your consumers, whether it comes from social and embarrassment moment, or whether it comes from a letter of inquiry from Congress. So um, I hope that makes sense. But those are just some of my thoughts. Uh, Yeah. No, I think, yeah, you're right. And and there's just, there's a feeling of intentionality behind it. And I think that's um, often what's missing. You know, we do a lot of training around bias and and just, you know, our, our, our brains, I mean, often we make choices because that's what's comfortable for us. Um, and that, that yeah. goes for how we build our teams and who we surround ourselves with. But at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, it, it's there, you have to be intentional and, and I love it, what you said. And that's, um, I heard that from several engineering managers um, a few years ago, you know, how, how are we supposed to build a product for a diverse group of customers when my team is all white guys, you know, uh, you, you can't, yeah. Yeah. you're not representing, you're yeah. representing one small portion. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And can I say this real quick, Yubi? You're going to win that guy. Let's just go back to that guy who said that he's going to win with diversity because cognitively, um, right. You want you, you know, all of us have bias and blinders, right? We have the B and B we have bias and we have blinders. And so if I'm working over here by myself and let's just shake your, um, the, the guy that you just mentioned, then, you know, he's limited. But the moment you expand your team, baby, you're in this game to win. And if you want to be a great leader right now, if you really want to stay competitive, if you really want to be in and play the long game in terms of value in your brand, your business, your company, diversity is a cognitive diversity. And like, you know, I'll get out of the specifics, but if we think about it from a cognitive diversity perspective, but how you're going to get to cognitive diverse um, you know, folks is you've got to have folks who are unique and different. So that's my, that's my, that's the end. I'm sorry. I promise. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's awesome. And Dee, I think that's a great note to wrap up on. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an incredible conversation. And I think our listeners will have so many key things to walk away from to bring back to their company. So once again, thank you, Dee, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Mike and Yubi, as usual, um, for being great co-hosts. And um, yeah, I guess, as usual, uh, come to chooseinclusion.com to check out all of our episodes, um, engage with us on our social media feeds through there, and we will catch you all next time. Take care, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.